0: Hi there. Do you know what these are? Of course you do. They're pruning shears. Uh, Have you done any pruning? Uh, I have to say I've done a little bit, though not too well. I'm a bit kind of uh, indiscriminate when it comes to pruning because I don't really know what I'm doing. And especially when it comes to fruit trees. Uh, We've got apples, pears, a plum tree, a raspberry bush, and I'm sure we'd have far more fruit or better quality fruits if I was to prune them properly. And you know, it's the same with our lives. We've been created to bear fruit, good fruit. And thankfully, as Jesus says in John 15, our heavenly father is a gardener. And what's more, he's an expert when it comes to pruning. He knows what he's doing. But for us, it means trusting him and submitting to his life, which could be hard because it's often a painful process. But the end result is not just fruitfulness. The pruning is designed to help us become our true self, to become more truly human. But what does that look like? Let's just take a look. Last week I gave an introduction to John 15 and we read the first eight verses. This week I wanna focus on verses one to three. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so they will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, before I get to the pruning, I'm sure you're wondering what Jesus means by uh, those branches that are cut off because they bear no fruit. And especially since he says that the branches are in him. So what's he implying there? Does it mean we can lose our salvation? That we'll be uh, somehow cast away forever, lost? What about those other verses in John's Gospel that says he will preserve those who belong to him? Well, for a start, we need to be careful about pressing metaphors too far. You know, it's a common mistake in interpreting scripture. Metaphors, uh, like the vine and its branches, are just that, a metaphor. In this case, it's, uh, it's an image that symbolizes something. But no metaphor is perfect. You know, you can't always take them too literally. And the commentaries I've read seem to agree that Jesus is talking here about dead wood that gets cut off. In other words, there is no divine life in it. And so he can't be talking about true believers who have been made alive in Christ, who have been born of the Spirit and have his divine life in them. And I think we're given a clue in the wordplay that John uses here. The original Greek word that's used for pruning is the same root word that's used for clean, where John says you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, right? It's in believing his word about who he is and what he came to do. Uh, It's in believing the gospel that we receive life. That's what makes us clean and ready to bear fruit. But not all who claim to follow Jesus have been made clean. Not all who might call themselves Christians have received his life. Who can you think of who is closely connected to Jesus, but did not have his life in them and ended up being cut off? That's right, Judas Iscariot. We have to remember in John 15 here, when Jesus said to his disciples, you're already clean, Judas wasn't with them. He had left them earlier in the evening when Jesus had washed their feet and they'd broken bread together. And Jesus had said something similar then when they were all together which I think sheds some light on what he's saying here. It was in John 13 that he said to them this. He said, you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So it confirms that those who get cut off like Judas were never made clean in the first place. They've never uh, experienced his life within them but for those who have been cleansed and who have received his life, they are the ones who will bear fruit. In fact, uh, to quote D.A. Carson, he says, fruitfulness is an infallible mark of true Christianity. If we truly belong to Jesus and have his divine life in us, there should be some measure of fruit evident in our lives, and that means we can expect to be pruned. As Jesus says here in verse 2, the Father will prune every branch that bears fruit. Every branch that has the divine life within them, he will prune to make them more fruitful. And it means that no true believer is exempt from this process. If you have life in Jesus, you will go under the knife. You will experience the pruning care of the Father. And I use the word care deliberately because it's why the pruning is necessary. It's actually for our good. It's because the Father loves us and is caring for us. In fact, pruning can be an intimate process. If I can quote N.T. Wright, he says, The vine dresser, which is the Father, is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has a knife in his hand. But what about the pruning that Jesus is talking about there? Exactly how does the Father prune us? And I think he has different ways of doing that, but let me just give you a couple of uh, thoughts. I'll start with the one that seems implied in this text, and that is that he prunes us through his word. Again, it's this word play between being pruned and being made clean. He says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And as we've seen, those who have been made clean, he also prunes. And so the implication is that we are also pruned through his word. How does his word prune us? Well, in Hebrews four verse 12, it says this. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It's when we allow God's word to abide in us, as Jesus says later on, uh, then it convicts us It exposes those unfruitful areas in our lives and in the recesses of our hearts that need to be cut out. And of course, we still have to submit to his word, to his pruning knife. And that's what hurts at times. Like when we show love to our enemies, when we forgive those who have hurt us and do good to those who speak ill of us and pray for those who mistreat us. That is not a painless process, is it? It hurts but it will bear lasting fruit in your life and in other people's lives. And ultimately, it will bring you joy and freedom, as we'll see. Another way that we experience this pruning is through the trials of life. You know, sometimes God allows us to go through hardships and difficult circumstances, but through them all, he's lovingly pruning us like he did with Joseph in the book of Genesis, who admittedly was a rather boastful, perhaps arrogant young man, but he was terribly mistreated by his brothers. And he was lied about by Potiphar's wife and ended up in prison, even though he'd done nothing wrong. And yet through it all, God was kind of pruning him, shaping him up to become the prime minister of Egypt and to bear much fruit in the saving of his family and many other lives. You know, I can remember when I led my first church in the early 1990s. I was just 28 years old and looking back, I know I wasn't very mature. But I felt honored to be asked to lead this new congregation of about 50 people that had formed. And I have no doubt that if it had grown straight away, it would have gone right to my head. But God was merciful. He cared too much for me to let that happen. And so instead, over the next couple of years, the congregation halved in number which is very humbling, I can assure you. Now, yeah, you know, I can put a positive spin on that because to be honest, it needed pruning. It was a collection of individuals who weren't really built together. But the truth is, what needed pruning the most was me. I had a lot to learn. I was very green. And if I was gonna bear much fruit, then I needed my pride and my self-reliance stripped away so I would depend on Jesus. And thankfully, by the grace of God, We did come to see healthy growth take place in that church, but it was a painful process. My pride definitely felt the cut of the gardener's knife. I'm reminded of a quote in Dave Gibson's book, uh, Living Life Backward. He says, you will know that you know God when sometimes he makes you weep as he humbles your pride, reverses your expectations, upsets your priorities and offends your behavior. How do you respond to the trials and hardships in your own life? So often we can whine and complain and blame others or fall into self-pity or even bitterness. But can I encourage you to submit to the knife, to surrender yourself into the Lord's loving hands, the same hands that are holding those pruning shears because the Father loves you and he cares for you. He's watching over you and he knows what he's doing. Listen to Hebrews 12, where the writer starts by quoting from the book of Proverbs. It says there, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Disciplining is the same as pruning. The father will discipline his sons and daughters just like he will prune the branches in his vine. But he does it because he loves us, because he cares for us. He's doing it for our good. It's not punishment. He's not punishing us, it's discipline because we're being trained by it. And that's why the writer says here, endure hardship as discipline. And the hardship he's referring to there was the hostility we face from other people. It's the sin of others causing us to suffer, whether that's people bad mouthing us, lying about us, opposing us, harassing us, and so on. But it could actually be any kind of hardship or affliction with a job loss, injury, sickness, and so on. And many of us here can testify we've drawn closer to God and experienced spiritual growth during times of pain. J.C. Ryle, the great 19th century pastor and scholar, wrote this. He says, By affliction, God teaches us many precious lessons, which without it, we should never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections weans us from the world and makes us long for heaven so that one day in glory we'll look back and say it was good for my soul so we endure hardship as discipline because it's achieving something good in our lives it's producing lasting fruit a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it and what does that mean to be trained by it perhaps it's like a fruit tree that's being trained to grow in a certain kind of shape where everything else is cut away. And it can seem harsh, but it's being trained so it'd be fruitful. Or maybe it's like a track athlete who is being trained and has to cut back on certain types of food and some might even strap weights around their ankles. And it feels like they're being weighed down and held back. It feels like a hindrance. It could be painful, but it's part of the training to build muscle and endurance and so they endure this hardship because when the weights are taken off they win races endure hardship as discipline are there things that are hindering you right now things that maybe are holding you back or weighing you down have you experienced setbacks can i encourage you not to despair or give up but to surrender yourself into God's sovereign hands. Leave the outcome to him. You can trust him. He knows what he's doing. All right. So to get back to the pruning analogy, as I said, it's not a painless process, but it is achieving something. And Jesus said it so will become even more fruitful. But what does that look like? What's the outcome here? Well think about a rose bush i'm sure some of you listening to this are experts of pruning roses why do you spend time pruning a rose bush because you want beautiful blooms don't you so you prune it to stop the plant from wasting its energy and becoming unproductive it needs help to grow in the right direction because just left to itself a rose bush will get all straggly and tangled and i know that because i've got one going that way and the roses just aren't as good because the branches of the bush grow in on themselves and they block the lights from the blooms. And apparently it's the same for vines. You just don't get much fruit if you allow them to get all tangled and grow inwards. They have to be pruned to let the light in. And so you kind of cut out those parts of the vines that are growing inwards and getting into a tangle. And in doing that, You are training the shoots to grow outwards towards the sun so that you might enjoy the most amazing fruit and as jesus said it's to my father's glory that you bear much fruit so can you see the parallel with our lives You prune roses, you prune vines to help them to reach their fullest potential and become their true self. And it's the same for us. The father lovingly prunes away our heart attitudes and wrong motivations. He prunes away that pride and self-reliance, the things that kind of get tangled up in our relationships, all of those things that drag us down, turn us inwards and away from the light. And he's ruthless because he loves us so much. He's helping us to become our true selves, to become more truly human. In other words, to become like Jesus. Because Jesus is the most perfect man who ever walked the earth. And as branches in his vine, the Father is lovingly forming us into his likeness, cutting away every attitude, every motive, every part of our character that doesn't look like him. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard the story about the great sculptor, Michelangelo, who took a block of marble that had been rejected by other sculptors and he began to sculpt what is considered one of the greatest sculptures ever created, that of David. Uh, This is what he once said. He said, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block. Before I start my work, it's already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. Michelangelo saw the image of David in the marble. and He just kept chipping away all the bits that didn't belong until the image of David was revealed. And that's what the Father is doing in us. He's cutting away the bits that don't belong until Jesus is revealed in us. And then we'll be our most true selves. We will be most truly human, displaying the divine image just as God intended. Just one more quote from Michelangelo to conclude with. He says, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. Jesus came to set you free. So whether it's his word that you are reading or trials that you're experiencing, can I encourage you today to submit yourself to the pruner's knife. Surrender yourself to him and allow him to cut away all the tangled and unfruitful parts. And as you do, you will experience increasing joy and freedom as you become your true self. And your life will bear much fruit to the Father's glory. God bless you today.